Section 88 of Word Portraits of Famous Writers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Charlotte. Word Portraits of Famous Writers. Edited by Mabel E. Wharton. Dante Gabriel Rossetti. 1828 to 1882. William Sharps, Dante Gabriel Rossetti. According to a sketch by Mr. Eyre Crow, dated about this time, Rossetti must have had anything but a robust appearance, being very thin and even somewhat haggard in expression. He went about in a long swallow-tailed coat of what was even in 1848 an antique pattern. That his appearance in his twentieth and some subsequent years was that of an ascetic I have been told by several, including himself. And in addition to such pen-and-ink sketches as the above, and of himself sitting to Miss Siddles, his future wife, for his portrait, there are the perhaps more reliable portraitures in Mr. Millais's Isabella, painted in 1848, and Mr. Deverell's Viola. On the other hand, a beautifully executed pencil head of himself in boyhood shows him much removed from the ascetic type of later years. Not unlike and strongly suggestive of a young Keats or Chatterton. While in maturer age he carefully drew his portrait from his mirrored image, the result being a highly finished pen-and-ink likeness. While speaking of portraits, I may state that Rossetti was twice photographed. Once in Newcastle, which is the one publicly known and upon which all other illustrations have been based, and one standing arm in arm with Mr. Ruskin, the latter being the best likeness of the poet-artist as he was a quarter of a century ago. There is also an etching by Mr. Menpes, which, however, is only founded on the well-known photograph. And finally, there is a portrait taken shortly after death by Mr. Frederick Shields. Hall Kane's Recollections of Rossetti Very soon Rossetti came to me through the doorway in front, which proved to be the entrance to his studio, holding forth both hands and crying, Halloa! He gave me that cheery, hearty greeting which I came to recognise as his alone perhaps, in warmth and unfailing geniality among all the men of our circle. It was Italian in its spontaneity, and yet it was English in its manly reserve, and I remember with much tenderness of feeling that never to the last, not even when sickness saddened him, or after an absence of a few days or even hours, did it fail him when meeting with those friends to whom, to the last, he was really attached? Leading the way to the studio, he introduced me to his brother, who was there upon one of the evening visits. 
which at the intervals of a week he was at that time making with unfailing regularity. I should have described Rossetti at this time as a man who looked quite ten years older than his actual age, which was fifty-two, of full middle height and inclining to corpulence, with a round face that ought, one thought, to be ruddy but was pale, large grey eyes with a steady, introspecting look, surmounted by broad, protrusive brows, and a clearly pencilled ridge over the nose, which was well cut and had large breathing nostrils. The mouth and chin were hidden beneath a heavy moustache and abundant beard, which grew up to the ears, and had been of a mixed black-brown and auburn, and were now streaked with grey. The forehead was large, round, without protuberances, and very gently receding to where thin black curls, that had once been redundant, began to tumble down to the ears. The entire configuration of the head and face seemed to me singularly noble, and from the eyes upwards full of beauty. He wore a pair of spectacles, and, in reading, a second pair over the first. But these took little from the sense of power conveyed by those steady eyes, and that bar of Michelangelo. His address was not conspicuous, being, however, rather negligent than otherwise, and noticeable, if at all, only for a straight sack coat buttoned at the throat, descending at least to the knees, and having large pockets cut into it perpendicularly at the sides. This garment was, I afterwards found, one of the articles of various kinds made to the author's own design. When he spoke, even in exchanging the preliminary courtesies of an opening conversation, I thought his voice the richest I had ever known anyone to possess. It was a full, deep baritone, capable of easy modulation, and with undertones of infinite softness and sweetness. Yet, as I afterwards found, with almost illimitable compass, and with every gradation of tone at command, the recitation or reading of poetry. 1880 William Sharp's Dante Gabriel Rossetti As to the personality of Dante Gabriel Rossetti, much has been written since his death, and it is now widely known that he was a man who exercised an almost irresistible charm over most with whom he was brought in contact. His manner could be peculiarly winning, especially with those much younger than himself, and his voice was alike notable for its sonorous beauty and for a magnetic quality that made the ear alert, whether the speaker was engaged in conversation, recitation, or reading. I have heard him read, some of them over and over again, all the poems in the ballads and sonnets, and especially in such productions as The Cloud Confines, was his voice as stirring as a trumpet tone. 
but where he excelled was in some of the pathetic portions of the Vita Nova, or the terrible and sonorous passages of L'Inferno, when the music of the Italian language found full expression indeed. His conversational powers I am unable adequately to describe, for during the four or five years of my intimacy with him he suffered too much from ill health to be a consistently brilliant talker. But again and again I have seen instances of those marvellous gifts that made him at one time a Sidney Smith in wit, and a Coleridge in eloquence. In appearance he was, if anything, rather over middle height, and especially latterly, somewhat stout. His forehead was of splendid proportions, recalling instantaneously to most strangers the Stratford bust of Shakespeare, and his grey-blue eyes were clear and piercing, and characterised by that rapid, penetrative gaze so noticeable in Emerson. He seemed always to me an unmistakable Englishman, yet the Italian element was frequently recognisable. As far as his own opinion is concerned, he was wholly English. 1878 End of section 88 Recording by Emma Charlotte